Hi, this is Adrian Sala, founder of Wikisleep. As many of you know, the Wikisleep app is now available for both Apple and Android devices. And I recently updated it, adding some fun features like autoplay for the next episode, sequential play of your favorite episode and a timer so that you can set it and forget it while you drift off to sleep. I wanted to mention that I am removing ads from the podcast because I know how disruptive they are. My sincere hope is that you'll go to the app and try it out, where I believe the experience is just better. And as part of that, though, over the next coming weeks, I'll be changing the episodes on the podcast to be closer to previews of full episodes, about six or seven minutes each. If you'd like to hear this and every other episode in its entirety, they're available on the app, and you can access that by visiting wikisleep.com. It's simple to download and get started, and there's a free trial so you can test it out at no cost today. Anyway, I encourage you to get the app, and in the meantime, I hope you get some rest and enjoy this episode. You're listening to Wikisleep Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Sala. Today's story is about the Halifax explosion of 1917. The Halifax explosion was a disaster that occurred in Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada, on the morning of December 6, 1917. At the time, the accidental blast was the largest human-made explosion to have ever happened, decimating the town and killing and injuring thousands. Halifax Harbour is made up of two towns, with Halifax on the west shore and Dartmouth on the east. By 1917, the harbour had become a principal assembly point for merchant convoys leaving for Britain and France for World War I. It was one of the British Royal Navy's most important bases in North America, a center for wartime trade, and a home to privateers who harried the British Empire's enemies during the American Revolution, the Napoleonic Wars, and the War of 1812. By 1917, the population of Halifax had increased to between 60 and 65,000 people, 
as the Royal Canadian Navy had virtually no seaworthy ships of its own at the time. The British Navy assumed responsibility for maintaining Atlantic trade routes by making Halifax its North American base of operations. Convoys from here carried men, animals, and supplies to the European theater of war. Hospital ships brought the wounded to the city, and a new military hospital was constructed there. The success of German U-boat attacks on ships crossing the Atlantic Ocean led the Allies to institute a convoy system to reduce losses while transporting goods and soldiers to Europe. Merchant ships gathered at the Bedford Basin on the northwestern end of the harbor, which was protected by two sets of anti-submarine nets and guarded by patrol ships of the Canadian Navy. The convoys departed under the protection of British cruisers and destroyers. A large army garrison protected the city with forts, gun batteries, and anti-submarine nets deep in the harbor. These factors drove a major military, industrial, and residential expansion of the city and the weight of goods passing through the harbor increased nearly ninefold during the war. All neutral ships bound for ports in North America were required to report to Halifax for inspection. The Norwegian ship SS Emo had sailed from the Netherlands en route to New York to take on relief supplies for Belgium under the command of Hakon Fromm. The ship arrived on December 3rd for neutral inspection and spent two days in the Bedford Basin awaiting refueling supplies. Though she had been given clearance to leave the port on the 5th of December, Emo's departure was delayed because her coal load did not arrive until late that afternoon. The loading of fuel was not completed until after the anti-submarine nets had been raised for the night, so the vessel could not weigh anchor until the next morning. Late on the night of the 5th, the French cargo ship SS Montblanc arrived from New York under the command of Amé Lamadec. The Montblanc was fully loaded with TNT and picric acid, the highly flammable fuel benzol, and gun cotton for the Allies. She intended to join a slow convoy gathering in the Bedford Basin, readying to depart for Europe, but was too late to enter the harbor before its nets were raised. Ships carrying dangerous cargo 
were not allowed into the harbor before the war, but the risks posed by the German submarines had resulted in a change of regulations. Navigating into or out of the Bedford Basin required passage through a strait called the Narrows. Ships were expected to keep close to the side of the channel situated on their starboard and pass oncoming vessels port to port, that is, to keep them on their left side. They were also restricted to a speed of five knots within the harbor. Emo was granted clearance to leave Bedford Basin by signals from the guard ship HMCS Acadia at around 7.30 in the morning of December 6th with pilot William Hayes on board. She entered the Narrows well above the harbor speed limit in an attempt to make up for the delay experienced in loading her coal. At the same time, the SS Clara was being piloted up the wrong side of the harbor. If you're enjoying this Wikisleep story and would like to hear it in its entirety, full episodes are available on the Wikisleep app, where there is so much more to help you get to sleep. Simply visit the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and search Wikisleep. Or visit Wikisleep.com where there are simple links to the app. And remember, we're not a regular sleep app. We're a cool sleep app. Affordable, fun, and endlessly interesting.